0: Welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. We've got a fabulous conversation on the way today about race, diversity, access to the outdoors. Jason Swan wears a lot of hats with groups like Outdoor Afro, Rising Roots, and Western Resource Advocates. We will ask him to put on all of those hats at various points today. But first, let's start with the news. Thursday morning, right before we taped this, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee voted to advance the nomination of Deb Holland to be the next Secretary of the Interior and the first Native American ever appointed to a cabinet level position. At Holland's confirmation hearing last week, Republican senators went after Holland for statements she'd made and bills she had supported as a member of Congress, even as Holland noted, first of all, that she had the most bipartisan record as a House freshman, and secondly, That she was going into the cabinet to implement president biden's agenda not her own ranking member john barrasso of wyoming spent a lot of time spouting numbers from an oil industry study that claimed pausing oil and gas leasing would cost tens of thousands of jobs those numbers far exceeding the actual number of employees who work in oil and gas drilling in new mexico and wyoming but perhaps most notable at the hearing was congressman don young of alaska a staunch republican who endorsed and introduced Holland. Young and Holland worked closely together on issues important to Native Alaskans. It's safe to say that Young's appearance was there for an audience of one, Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, also of Alaska. And in the end, the support of indigenous groups is what appears to have won Murkowski over, She spoke for several minutes before the vote on Thursday and said that despite having several misgivings about Holland and the Biden administration's approach to energy in Alaska particularly, she would vote to approve Holland's nomination. And so that was the final vote, 11 to 9, with Murkowski joining all the Democrats on the committee to send Holland's nomination to the Senate floor. We can expect a final vote on the floor in the next week or two, at which point Holland will be sworn in as Interior Secretary. Our guest today is a Policy Analyst Fellow with Western Resource Advocates focused on equitable access to public outdoor spaces. He's also launching a group called Rising Routes, all about cross-cultural intersectional healing and the outdoors. He's also a leader at Outdoor Afro. Jason Swan, with all of those various hats you are wearing, thank you so much for coming on the
1: podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm happy to be here. So I understand you were
0: born in Atlanta. You, you grew up in rural Georgia. So give us a sense of your origin story with the outdoors and what experiences in your life uh, brought you to environmental advocacy.
1: Oh, such a such a great story. You know, <laughs> um, I, I come from humble beginnings. Uh, I was raised in a small shanty in, in, in Sparta, Georgia, which is one of the poorest cities in all of Georgia. And we were um, you know, me and my family of four uh, went down there because my uh, father got a job at the prison system. So, if you don't know anything about uh, Sparta, Georgia, people is where um, professional basketball player Horace Grant was uh, born oh. hmm. uh, and raised. Uh, so, a good fun fact there. Um, and the Negro League player Thomas Pee Wee Butts is from is from um, Sparta, Georgia. Nice. So, it has some really rich history. But, um, you know, with more is a really small time, uh, town. So with with uh, more farmland and dirt roads than people, <laughs> I spent the majority uh, of my time uh, exploring the backwoods, climbing trees, you know, picking pecans for extra money. Um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' home in, in mr. Georgia, uh, down the infamous Baker Road, where most of my mother's side of the family resided. So, um, you know, you, you know, just being outdoors is essentially all I had to do. You know, your, your mom would say, uh, you know, don't come back inside <laughs> <laughs> to the lights. Don't, don't <laughs> come back till dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just being experiencing that um, is where my first love for for nature came into play. Um, by being in the sticks, um, and just seeing my my grandfather was a sharecropper and, and seeing him on the land, uh, so that ownership of, of of some of the land and uh, you know and that care for it, that stewardship of it, uh, is what initially got me into uh, just loving the outdoors.
0: So then your your bio on, on on WRA's website mentions that you reignited your passion for the outdoors. When you, you moved to Colorado, you joined Colorado Mountain Club. Uh, share with us what it felt like joining this community, which is obviously a very white community in Colorado when it comes to to hiking and climbing. As a black person going into the wilderness, joining this community, what was that like for you?
1: You know, <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, you get older, right? <laughs> you know, you leave your home. Um and you know, society is telling you you need to go to work, you gotta take care of yourself. So I immersed myself in in, in the financial industry for about eight years. Uh and I got away from it. I, I just got away from uh the equanimity that uh the outdoor provides me and um and and, and was just sitting behind a cubicle every day. Uh, its own prison, I like to say. Um but you know it wasn't until i moved to colorado that and and saw the rocky mountains and saw the beauty uh, and the wondrous sunrises and landscapes and terrain that colorado had to offer that i was so infatuated by it aaron that i i i said okay what do i have to do to learn everything i can about the outdoors and 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 how and more importantly Learn how I can survive in it, um, you know, by myself or with others. Uh, because, you know, coming from the South, you know, the stigma is that, you know, we don't go outside, we don't do this, we don't do that. Uh, you know, and so I always had this idea of going beyond the stereotypes of what Black people don't do. Um, and so I joined Colorado Mountain Club because it was in close proximity to where I live. And Um, To to be honest with you, Aaron, uh, to be completely frank, um, uh, I was so in love with the idea of exploring Colorado wilderness that race wasn't really initially on my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I I simply wanted to learn all I could about how to survive. Um, And, you know, Colorado Mountain Club provided me that opportunity to have my first educational courses uh, to learn about how to do that. Uh, but now I will say this. Uh, it was apparent and very easily recognizable <laughs> that I was the uh, probably the only ethnic uh, 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 or at least the, the ethnic groups uh, that I'm usually uh, are accustomed to being around was highly underrepresented. And I was the only black person uh, in my course. Um, but I, you know, again, I didn't allow that to deter me from making connections. Um, you know, I'm an extrovert. You know, I want to learn more from the expert. So, you know, I put myself out there. I talked to as many people as I could. I tried to, to befriend as many people as I could and even try to, you know, have someone as a mentor for me. Um, but I do believe the biggest challenge as a, as a novice uh, explorer I uh, was, was, was really, it was the gatekeepers of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. So, um, you know, there were people who were very highly experienced and for me, that's who I wanted to guide me. That's who I wanted to mentor me. And, and I, and I felt some way that I, you know, that I couldn't be in the fold. Or of of these experienced people because all they wanted to do was essentially, you know, uh, experience Colorado wondrous landscapes with other experienced spores, right? <laughs> uh, or discuss like the latest fad and gear and how you know and you know that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and that's just not where I was in my life. And so and 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 I'll and I'll also say this to end this. Um, I wanted to, as an extrovert, as someone who really enjoys people, I wanted to talk about real issues (laughs) around the linkage between mental health and the outdoors. I wanted to talk about racial and social justice um, in my black experience without criticism, without any type of judgment, uh, which I believe many of the people there were not necessarily comfortable discussing. Or perhaps it just wasn't that the place for it, right? You know, it was was a place for education. It was a place for people to learn about the outdoors and to build connections as it relates to the outdoors. But when, you know, you wanted to talk about your journey, your own surf journey towards, you know, anti-racism and, you know, things like that, you know, people were not comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, with those type of conversations. And so that led me to explore other options. So
0: it sounds like then your experience there, and I don't wanna to focus too much on Colorado Mountain Club because I think that experience is probably pretty common a- across the country of that sort of gatekeeping that you get uh, when folks want to to get outdoors. Uh, how does that then bring you to to Rising Roots?
1: oh that is a good transition um <laughs> well i'll have to go back just a little bit sure because i have to go back to where i grew up and uh not necessarily where i grew up but where i came from prior to coming to um colorado which was omaha nebraska um before i came to colorado i was in the financial field i was just starting to to engage in the outdoors as much as I did when I was a youth uh, by going camping and things like that in, in, in Nebraska, in flatland country, right? <laughs> in the corn husker land. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, an experience woke me up to the disparities of our judicial system. An experience woke me up to understanding that there was a lack of empathy and concern for other people's problems. Um, and, um, Essentially what happened, I was uh, wrongfully accused of something I didn't do. I was uh, beat up uh, and thrown in jail for numerous of days. I fought the judicial judicial system for uh, almost over a year, trying to reduce a sentence that I didn't commit. Um, And uh, ultimately, it created barriers in my own career path in the financial world Mm -hmm. where I was thriving prior to that incident. Um, and now I had barriers where no one would, because I had a record, no one would want to hire me, or, or, uh, and, and it just made it a lot more difficult sure. to move up. Um, and so when that happened, and I moved to Colorado, and I experienced this, this peace, this freedom of the outdoors, it aided my mental health so well, so well, um, and, and allowed me to sit with myself and to heal. Uh, from the trauma that that experience caused me, that I felt like everyone should be enjoying this. Everyone should have a piece of what that feels like. Um, and so the spark of Rising Routes uh, was lit at that point. Um, so yeah, that's 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 essentially how we got started. And, and, and I guess if, if you wanna know about what Rising Routes is, just a real quick one-liner.
0: <laughs> uh, I, more more than one line because I think you have opened up a whole a whole lot of of different paths here I want to go down so yes give us the the description of rising routes and what it's doing and then I want to explore the the intersections between racial justice injustices in the criminal justice system and how the outdoors can fit into all of that picture because I think it's something that most people don't even think about in that way even after last summer and the George Floyd protests?
1: There's two things here. One, there's a mental health component. There's an environmental stewardship component, right? And then there's this social justice component to rising routes. There's this nexus between all three. Um, And we're trying to uh, intertwine those or, you know, work those together with rising routes. So, um, and the reason why I say the, the social justice is evident based off my experiences. So there's this nexus that we we I found um, when I first moved here as far as like, you know, falling in love with the outdoors is one thing. So when you fall in love with the outdoors, you have this interest in preserving it, this interest in making sure that you steward it um, because you love it so much. You love the trails that you are accustomed to going to, your favorite places. And so, um, you know, when you start seeing this, Uh, rampant climate change and wildfires and everything else that is happening in in, in places that you love to recreate, you know, your heart cries. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so you really want to figure out a way to, to, to help it. So there was that piece. Right. Um, But then there was the mental health piece um, because it brought me so much, uh, so much freedom to be out there. It cleared my mind. It allowed, it, it provided a sanctuary for me to, to heal right, from those past traumas and experiences. Um, and then the social, the social justice issue didn't come until my founder, uh, the co-founder of Rising Rouse, Marisa Jure, came on board. Um, and she really got me involved with all of the uh, outdoor organizations that are in the Colorado um, that are led by um, uh, Black, Indigenous, um, uh, and, and racially and ethnic, ethnically ethnic uh uh, people and so once i found that and i found that a lot of these organizations were about social justice it only made sense that we should uh, put that into the fold as well with rising routes um so that's essentially how that started
0: so uh what does that look like in practice you are starting up this group what will it do from from a program level
1: From a program level, um, you know, we want to be able to immerse people in the outdoors and we want to be able to take different people from different backgrounds, from different life lenses to be able to recreate in the outdoors together. But while we're outdoors, we want to do some of that internal work, right, that recognition uh, of and the healing of our own traumas and our community traumas. Uh, We feel like only then can we come together to practice what we've learned in the form of deep and active empathy. Um, because to be honest with you, empathy and trust are the foundations, uh, for a meaningful collaboration. Uh, and, and we also feel like it's the starting point, uh, to positive change and healing that we need in the world right now. And so, uh, doing that with different cultures, with different, uh, ethnicities, with different genders even, um, to come together and learn from each other. Uh, we feel like, you know, that's, that's a part of our programming.
0: And Let's dive in a little bit into that connection between mental health and uh, mental health care, how that fits into restorative justice and and racial justice and the criminal justice system in America. It sounds like you're you're making a point that I think is is overlooked a lot, which is the the trauma that comes with the systemic racism in the criminal justice system has mm-hmm. long-term, Psychological emotional effects across the african-american
1: community and people of color broadly Absolutely, you know It's at this point when I hear and I want to go back because at this point when I hear people talk about Saving the planet or healing the planet You know or climate change all these things I have to first take a step back and say we 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 have to first work to create a society and a system that has the capacity to work as one, right? Where, where people are, are accepted for who they are without, you know, othering or oppression. Because we feel like uh, an oppressive othering system can never hope to unite to save the planet because it, was, it wasn't designed to do so in the first place. So, you know, we, we want to be dedicated to designing a system that will support all people uh, a, a, as they wish to be seen. Um, in communion with each each other and the planet. And so, you know, we feel like that is the foundation in which people can start to uh, um, self-actualize other concerns such as, you know, uh, healing the planet or self-actualize making sure that we, um, you know, live more harmoniously on this earth together or uh, be able to even get to the point where they can do the healing work, hmm. um, and so it's, it's it's interesting because a lot of our basic needs of uh, what security, safety, food, and water are being threatened threatened by climate change, and so people have to be able to kind of redefine you know their identity in the systems through which they live right now so that they can change their behavior and their attitudes and their identities so that they can be able to do the work to be able to help save the planet or at least, you know, stop this catastrophic climate change from, you know, being exacerbated even more so than where it already is.
0: Yeah, that, that all, all all makes sense. My, it, it, my question then becomes about, I think, that gatekeeping that you mentioned. We talk a lot on this podcast about, public lands, opportunities to get outside and enjoy national parks, national monuments. But we don't talk as much about the barriers for folks to access those places, whether they are the physical transportation challenges, this sense that you need lots of expensive gear, or just the the gatekeeping within that wilderness outdoors community. Can you just explain from your experience what some of those barriers are and what the steps are to breaking
1: them down. Yeah, you you know, again, like I mentioned before, it's just not enough people are doing their internal work. I I always go back to that because, you know, there is a a lack of understanding of the historical systems of of alienation, of discrimination, uh, dispossession of of, of, uh, indigenous people and minority groups uh, that have created this, 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 uh, you know, uh, systemic inequity on our public lands, right? So, you know, we really got to understand our history and and why we are here today. Uh, these long-standing divisions and discouragement um, and powerlessness amongst, you know, uh, people who are racially ethnically diverse is 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 essentially what's keeping us from uh, moving ahead um, into Stewardship of our public lands or access to it, right? And so, you know, I was just looking at, uh, you know, a few stats about just how, you know, uh, you know, seventy-eight percent of of of, uh, of African Americans live within thirty miles of a coal plant, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or or eighty percent of the, uh, Latino and Latinas live in counties that violate federal air pollution laws. So, you know, and and so that you know, we we have to treat climate change as, as a, a racial justice issue. And we have to do the internal work to understand the historical uh, 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 inequities that have happened that have led us to this point where there are access issues um, to getting outdoors. Um, and, you know, there's been a disinvestment in our communities. And so, you know, how do we get back to investing in... in, in Uh, in the communities that have been disproportionately affected uh, by climate change and some of these historical issues that have happened in the past. Um, Why can't we just, you know, I think as a community, as a state, uh, even thinking about Colorado, uh, figure out ways to really, um, you know, because money is not just one thing. Money, you know, I I don't want to always say you can throw money at an issue and it's going to help solve every problem. That's why I go back to that internal work, mm-hmm. you know, really recognizing, you know, that we do have a lot of trauma built inside of ourselves that we need to be able to fix, um, and, and not just not just, uh, 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 uh ethically and racially diverse people. It's it's also, you know, our white counterparts as well. Um, so, so obviously,
0: this is not a problem you can simply throw money at to solve but at the same time this current system we have these racial disparities are the result of hundreds of years certainly decades worth of funding disparities so Mm -hmm. for the the parts that you you do want to see more funding coming at what what does that get in terms of in terms of change and in terms of funding where it should be going especially now that you have an administration coming into the white house that is putting environmental justice and racial justice on equal footing as a priority going forward
1: yeah yeah you know it's good to hear all the talk right
0: (laughs) right but it's got to be it's got to come with action it's got to come with with some dollars
1: yeah you know we're watching you know i think the communities are watching what this president is doing and really uh, you want to hold people accountable to their words. Um, and I know I do. Uh, you know, it's, so many times I think presidents have, have come in and, and you know, and, and said things that they haven't really fulfilled promises on. So, you know, I, I'm just going to wait and see. But, I mean, money being is certainly good, right? Uh, there are communities right now that are led by uh, racially, ethnically diverse people, uh, nonprofits that are led by those individuals who actually work deeply in the communities right now, who are uh, doing uh, community-curated activities uh, to get people outdoors, but due to you know resources not being um, adequately accessible, that money is being diverted to more larger uh, 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 organizations that can scale a lot more um, mm-hmm. than we can, you know, it's, it's, it's actually sad when you think about it, because knowing that, particularly in Colorado, that the uh, ethnic uh, and minor- the minorities here are going to, uh, by 2050, are going to be almost over half of the population of the workforce here, according to the uh, self-sufficiency standard, uh, you know, it, it, it basically shows us that if we don't do something, About investing in those communities today, uh, in those businesses today, um, without all the barriers that come with it, right? Because you know, filling out grant applications and so forth—they, so many barriers to a lot of, to receive those resources. And we don't start doing something today, you know, then you know, Colorado is going to fall behind um, a lot of other states, um, uh, you know, economically. And you know, I know we care about. Uh, making sure that uh, Colorado is a leader in a lot of areas. So we want to make sure that, you know, we start investing. And, you know, if you're looking in the rural areas of Colorado, uh, you know, if it wasn't for those communities coming in and, and setting up shop, uh, that the population decline would be more uh, prevalent uh, in more rural areas. Uh, so because of, of, of the diversity that's starting to move in uh, into those rural areas, uh, is, is keeping those towns afloat. So we, we, we really got to start just focusing more on that. And I don't want it to be like climate change when we waited too long mm-hmm. to do anything about it. And now here we are, uh, you know, dealing with devastating wildfires and everything else, that uh, lack of water uh, and, 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 uh, and wildlife. Uh, so, uh, and now, you know, we have a there's so many issues to solve for. I can just keep going on, <laughs> uh, but it needs to come from the top, right? Leadership needs to step up. You know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, tax incentives that the, uh, the, the wealthy people here in Colorado get that don't need to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could bring millions of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars back into Colorado, Um yeah, <laughs> I want to ask
0: about Outdoor Afro. It's a great organization. We've we've mentioned in the past here on the podcast, and they've been growing uh, in the last couple of years. How would you get involved with Outdoor Afro, and and what do you think its impact is going forward?
1: Yeah, Outdoor Afro is. Oh, you know, I got so many good things to say about Afro. I really just encourage any uh, 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 black person to to look up Outdoor Afro and to get involved because it has done wonders for my life. Um, uh, One, being just connected with other leaders, right, Um, you know, throughout this country that are doing amazing things in in, in environmentalism uh, in conservation and and, and just throughout nature in general Um, and giving back so much to the communities that need it the most. It's, It's been inspiring to be able to, take people out on hikes, show them the beauty uh, of Colorado and have them inspired to want to uh, get involved uh, into protecting it. And and that is the, that is the, that is the key right there is, is getting our people because we are uh, the, one of the first investors, right? Black people on this land. Uh, You know, uh, our ancestors uh, uh, were some of the first investors. And so like, I want, us to know that we are and have always been connected to uh to the earth and so outdoor afro has given me leadership uh it has given me confidence um and uh i don't even know where else it's going to take me but <laughs> uh it is definitely living, living by is is mission mission and inspiring uh, black leadership in the outdoors
0: so second to last question, then, after everything we saw in 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, finally uh, an acknowledgement from white folks, at least, that we are long overdue in acknowledging and grappling with the the racist underpinnings of everything in American society. Where do you see the conserva- conservation and environmental justice movements Going And and how can they play a positive, proactive role within the broader racial justice movement uh, that that came to the forefront last year?
1: It's a great question. A great questions. Um, you know, I think. Almost like I mentioned before, we have to start looking at climate change as a racial justice issue. And, you know, we believe you know, the barriers to build, and when I say we, I say rising routes. But <laughs> well, we believe just the, the barriers to build a powerful movement and engage in, in, in this environmental crisis um, and hopefully to, to, to get our communities to reach some type of self-actualization uh, is, is ultimately due to our um, inability to meet our most basic psychological and safety needs. I don't know how much I need to go back through that, but like you know, again, these long-standing divisions between these groups um, it, it just have created a lack of trust and feelings of discouragement mm-hmm. and powerlessness, uh, largely due to oppression and, and these systemic inequities. So, um, I just think that going forward, those issues have to be solved uh, in tandem uh, with our climate focus, um, and if we can increase awareness. Uh, and, and help communities find the right motivations to change uh, their identities and behavior to act. Then we, we're doing something, right? And 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 I think that's why we go back to rising routes because the reality is, is that if we're thinking about healing the planet, it's going to take an identity shift. <laughs> it's going to take a change of life uh, from every person alive. Uh, and if if most people and I'll go back to this again. If most people feel othered or threatened in some way in their daily lives, I don't see how anyone can be expected to focus on a much larger picture, which is climate change. So we have to start doing. You know, I think the climate focus or this 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 movement uh, will will suffer uh, if 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 our focus isn't on the interest of making sure that we replace the system that we currently live in that has has harmed the majority of people, and is now hurting almost everyone and much of life on Earth, um, if we don't start looking internally and doing the internal work. So uh, you know, and 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 so that's where I am with that.
0: <laughs> it, it's not just policy. There's there's emotional work that everyone has to put in here too.
1: Yes, and they, and we need a place to do that. Mm-hmm. We need a brave safe place to do that. And I don't want to use the word safe because I feel like in, the, in, in, in at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Even if you're, you got all the circumstances built around to make this is the most, uh, quote unquote, safe place um, that people are still going, you know, at times can still feel triggered, can still feel out of place, can still feel other. So um, you have to be brave. You know, you have to be comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Because, you know, if you haven't, again, been in places where this is the norm for you, uh, you haven't been immersed in other people, cultures and identities and behaviors, then, yeah, it's going to feel weird. Yeah, it's going to feel different. It's going to be I, you can talk to anybody who has traveled the world, and who's an explorer uh, of other cultures, and they'll tell you that, yeah, they were uncomfortable. They were they felt different and an outsider, but ultimately they got over it because they put the time and the work in and the healing and the practice that it takes. And so that's all I'm asking for uh, Coloradans to do. That's all I'm asking for our greater uh, nation to be able to do.
0: Last question then, where are the places in Colorado that you have discovered where you have found that connection and comfort and healing? On an organizational level? No, I like the physical uh, places, outdoors. Yeah, where where do you like to go?
1: Oh, Man, you know, I don't even want to say it so people <laughs> look at this and they start going there. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say some hard places that I know. There we go. Make make <laughs> I, I make them work for it place. if they want to come find it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to work for it. Oh, uh, let's say um, one of the most one of the hardest hikes I've done, but but has one of the most uh, best benefits if you can get there uh, is up to Door Lake. Uh, it, you have to go off trail, and it's in the um, uh, uh, the Gore Range, uh, but it's in uh, it's Dora Lake, and it is – I can't even explain it. I'm just going to leave it there. Nice. And then the other spot would be my favorite hike when I moved to Colorado, off of Colorado, uh, two places. One that's pretty busy already, and they're having a lot of troubles with people going there. Uh, is the uh Arapaho pass to Lake Dorothy um and that's in near Nederland uh, i think in uh yeah i think it's the Roosevelt National Forest um and then the last one and the most i do this hike every year uh is uh up to uh Mount Ida in Rocky Mountain National Park nice <laughs> go there you won't be disappointed all right we're going to leave it there
0: jason swan with rising routes outdoor afro also western resource advocates uh jason thank you so much for this conversation it has been uh, fascinating and illuminating for me i hope certainly for all the listeners as well really appreciate you taking the time and and your candor today
1: thank you for having me aaron appreciate you
0: That will do it for this episode of The Landscape. I know that conversation with Jason gave me a whole lot to reflect on. I hope it did for you as well. And I am so excited for what we've got coming up next. Rock climbing legend Tommy Caldwell. We will talk to him in our next episode about his career, his films, his books, and why he is using his visibility to become a conservation and climate advocate. I'm sure we'll have a lot of policy and politics to talk about in the coming weeks as well, especially once Deb Holland takes charge of interior. If you've got topics or guests you think we could have on the show, please drop us a line, podcast at westernpriorities.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other folks can find us here. I'm Aaron Weiss. On behalf of the whole team at the Center for Western Priorities, thanks for listening.